A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter. This is the Badass Women's Hour. And that sound you hear in the background is the ever-present drilling of the building site next door. If this past year has taught me anything, it's that putting up a house requires almost constant drilling and that that drilling is best done first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Who knew? On this week's show, we are talking about bodies. Last week saw the first ever plus-size model to grace the cover of Playboy Europe, but it also saw the death of Big Brother star Nikki Graham from anorexia. I'll be looking at whether we can really see Playboy as a similar body acceptance and talking to eating disorder survivor and charity campaigner Gemma Oten about what more could have been done for Nikki. A warning now, that is a tough conversation, and if you've been through that, you might find some of it triggering. Gemma is a wise and wonderful soul, though, and has some important home truths about what really needs to change in order to support anyone suffering from an eating disorder. And it's not about them. Plus, how to get back on the dating scene after lockdown, I'll be answering one listener's question about finding love in 2021. But first, so this month saw Playboy Europe feature the first ever plus size model on its cover. Hayley Hasselhoff, yes, David is her father, bared all on the cover of the mag. And I spoke to her about it and, you know, sort of asked her about whether or not we can ever really see kind of Playboy as a champion for feminism or even just body acceptance or diversity. And she said she found it a really empowering experience that she had a kind of all-female shoot team, that the photographer was female, that they really tried to make it about what women wanted, not what men wanted. You know, she had a really strong case for why she thought it was a really empowering thing for her and for women everywhere. So is this proof that we've passed the days of body size discrimination? I'm not sure. So the first thing that struck me is obviously, I don't think one woman can ever be proof that a certain shift in society has happened. Just as diversity isn't one black woman hosting an otherwise all white panel show or one woman with a disability being invited on the news to talk about her disability, but never anything else. So Playboy featuring one plus size model isn't diversity when the rest of the magazine and the rest of the magazines for the next 10 years all go back to exactly the same old mode of model. That was quite hard to say. If this was happening all the time, if we were constantly seeing a diverse range of body shapes in Playboy, I mean, actually, let's be honest, in all magazines, because even women's magazines that claim they do body diversity do it a little bit, but not all the time then maybe, maybe we could say this was a sign that times had changed and the media was really open to looking at different types of women. But I've got to be honest, one woman with a slightly different body shape simply isn't enough. Because add to this that the woman in question basically looks like every other Playboy model who's gone before her. 
right? So she's got big blonde hair, come to bed eyes, an extreme pout. Nothing wrong with that. That is my go-to dressed up look in an ideal world or, you know, in my head. But we can't call it body or beauty diversity because it's not. She's still just a very attractive white woman on the cover of a magazine that has had a penchant for very attractive white women for its entire history. But the real rub of this for me, that's an unfortunate turn of phrase, if you know what I mean, is that it's Playboy. And Playboy has made millions from promoting a particular ideal of beauty. And now it's gone, okay, well, maybe we can make a little bit more of those millions by just pretending to dip our toe into this feminist body reclamation movement. But we're not going to really stay here and we're not going to really invest in it. It also made me think about a piece I read a few years ago from an older female journalist. I can't remember which one. It might have been Callum Brown, but I don't think it was, where she used the phrase that as you get older, you realize that life is about your body of work, not your body. And I found that quite triggering when I read it. I was like, that feels very judgy and a bit like, oh, young women don't understand anything. And now I think that I'm just at the midpoint where I still feel it's a bit judgy, but I slightly see her point of view. We can't just say that because a woman's body is accepted, that therefore we have complete feminism, that we have equality, that we have acceptance of women, right? Because when I look at that Playboy cover, what I don't see is a woman being accepted. There's an idea that her body is accepted, but her as a woman, not so much, because even though that cover was shot by a female photographer, it had female stylists, et cetera, et cetera. It looks pretty much exactly the same as every other male gaze, porno, wannabe magazine cover. It's a very beautiful woman with this kind of extended back pose where her bum is to the camera, her boobs are out, she's gazing over her shoulder, she's pouting incredibly hard. It's not a comfortable position quite frankly. It's not one that you're kind of holding on the bus on a Monday morning. It's very much a male gaze what sexy looks like photo shoot. And that's a bit boring. If you want transgressive feminist sex appeal, give me Emily Retikowski covered in spaghetti. Do you remember that photo shoot? That is interesting. That is sex through the female gaze, hot woman plus food. That's what we should be talking about when we're talking about challenging the stereotypes and kind of pushing the boundaries on what we traditionally think of as sex appeal. That's what I want to see in Playboy, a plus-size woman covered in spaghetti. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. So this week's interview is with former soap star turned eating disorder charity manager, Gemma Oten. We're talking about the death from anorexia of her friend and former Big Brother star, Nikki Graham. So just a warning that some of you might find this discussion quite triggering. Last week, we saw the tragic death of Big Brother star, Nikki Graham, um, due to anorexia. And just before her death, her friends reached out, trying to encourage her to get help and also encourage everyone else to help her. But it wasn't enough. Well, my next guest has lived through that disease herself and now runs an amazing charity helping people. Um, And she says that COVID is only making it worse. I'm joined by Gemma Oten, uh, founder and organiser of Seed, the Seed Eating Disorder Support Services. Hi, Gemma. Hi, love. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, So tell me to start with, 
I, it's going to sound real. It's going to sound like a really silly question, Gemma. But in my head, I almost felt like because we've heard so little about anorexia in the last few years, I felt like it had almost kind of gone away. But you think it's been getting worse? Oh, it's been getting worse. Mm. Like you couldn't believe. Um, Sadly, for for whatever reason, eating disorders have never been really seen on the agenda for for mental health issues. And yet it's got the highest mortality rate of any other mental health issue. Um, One in five will die Mm -hmm. as a direct result of an eating disorder or by taking their own life because the turmoil and pain that -hmm. comes with living with an eating disorder is too much. Now, um, the, uh, the pandemic has only... Um, magnified this and our referrals have absolutely gone through the roof over the last year um, and it's not stopping. We're now going back into the real world um, so we had to deal with you know, the loss of control and we went into lockdown and now we're having to deal with getting back out there again and all of these changes and all of these things that we can't control bring about serious anxiety and lots of mental health issues. But one of them that is predominant in all of this is eating disorders. And eating disorder thrives off control. And when all control is gone, it is a very, very scary, dark and manipulative illness to be encompassed by. Can you tell us a little bit more about this link between the need for control and particularly why it's been exacerbated first by lockdown and now by coming out of lockdown and all the issues that go around that? I think the best way to explain it is, so for instance, in my in my, my life mm-hmm. and my journey, um, at about 10, 11 years old, I started to be bullied. I've mm-hmm. been a happy, you know, go-lucky girl, um, always out lacking with the lads, you know, the lads being life, bubbly, loved performing, loved school, my teachers, everything. And when the bullying started, I felt like I couldn't control what people were saying or doing to me, but I could control what went inside me. And the smaller I was, the safer I was. Now, we know that there isn't just anorexia that presents itself as an eating disorder. There's bulimia, there's binge eating, there's, there's so many different crossovers of eating disorders as well. However... I did a TEDx talk a couple of years ago and the way I explained it was words that hurt us can push us to stay silent but pain is always expressed. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of trying to, even though it doesn't work because an eating disorder makes you lose control over everything, what an eating disorder does do is make you feel like you have control of something. Mm -hmm. And I know that's very difficult to understand from the outside looking in. You know, food, you walk around, you know, day to day and people are eating everywhere. It's what we need Mm -hmm. to live. Um, So why would somebody choose to use that as a form of self-harm? So I understand it's very difficult to get the the concept around what it is, but we must make sure that people do because awareness and education is absolutely key. And also by talking about it, we start breaking down the stigma. Why hasn't eating disorders been spoken about, you know, for the last three years? You know, we need that having that conversation and, I'm so heartbroken that it's taken the death of a beautiful, mm. wonderful young woman to re-engage that, Harriet. It's it's not right. I mean, one of the things that really shocked me was, you know, we saw a few weeks before Nikki's death, um, her friends posting on social media saying, you know, we're doing a crowdfunder to get her help because it's the only thing we can think of that might possibly save her. And... Yeah. When I saw that, I, I, I couldn't understand how somebody could be in a situation where the choice is 
crowdfunding for money to get her private health or her dying. How does yeah. that happen? I am I am banging my head against a brick wall and shouting from the rooftops as, mm. as to why that's happening, but it's been happening for years. Bear in mind, I'm 36. My journey with an eating disorder started at 10 years old. By 11 and a half, I was admitted to a children's psychiatric unit and told that if I didn't eat or drink within 24 hours, I'd be dead. Why? Because we couldn't get the help and support that we needed, because there was waiting lists, because there was referrals, because the pathways were confused. Friends and family are literally being sent from pillar to post whilst they're fighting for their loved one. So not only is their loved one suffering in the middle of an absolute turmoil, think of the families, think of the friends. You know, uh, my parents didn't didn't go to, to medical school and university, but, you know, they were fighting for me. They didn't know what, what doors to open in terms of psychiatrists, but there was none. And this is the whole problem with the system. It's a complete postcode lottery. And it, sometimes it really is down to where somebody lives as to whether there's a, a good and sufficient eating disorder service in place. Because I tell you what, for thousands of others around the country, there's not. And that is why Feed was set up by my parents. Um, you know, 21 years we've been going as a charity and I was still in hospital whilst they set it up. But it was through their education and learning and understanding that I was actually able to, to come back from the brink. But it took me four times nearly dying to get there you know do you think do you think you are I'm I'm struggling to find the right word because I don't want to use the phrase either in control or cured but do you think you have a level of peace with your eating disorder now yeah absolutely I've I've been I, I sort of I call it the recovery after the recovery at the moment because my recovery started 13 years, 14 years ago, and I was able to start living my life. But I was never really prepared for the fact that it might start to creep back, but in different ways. And Mm -hmm. to explain that, I mean the anxiety, the loss, the grief. I lost 13 years of my life. You know, but also the, the, the things that you don't think of. When I went to drama school, I mean, my mum had to write me a booklet about how to actually live. (laughs) But because I'd spent my life in and out of institutions and hospitals and psychiatric units, you know, so now at the point of 36 where I'm at is that I know myself so well, but I also know that COVID for me has brought about a realisation being locked in at home in my flat on my own. It's brought a realisation that there is a recovery after the recovery. And I don't mean that I've slipped back into the eating disorder. But what I have had to be really mindful of is that I know it's there. It's in the pocket. And if I don't address it, then that's the worst thing I can do. So I, you know, I got in touch with my therapist and (laughs) carried on seeing her on Zoom each week. Because, you know, it's important, Harriet. And it's conversations Mm -hmm. like this where I know it's awful and it's tragic, but we have to make this normal that talking is okay and and we're in an age now where if people can't get the help that they need that's readily available because they can't get to a GP because they can't see people in person then it is so vital that people reach out to to charities in the voluntary sector as they are doing Mm -hmm. because at the moment as you know there's a severe lack of um, partnership between the government private Mm -hmm. sector and the voluntary sector it is so disjointed when people started talking a few months ago or a few weeks ago about Nikki's eating disorder, they shared pictures of her. Yeah. There was quite a backlash to that. Yeah. What do you think of it? I think, in all honesty, that Nikki's friends didn't 
didn't realise that by mm. posting those pictures it would have a backlash, as we yeah. talked about earlier on. If you're the other side, how do you know? <laughs> you yeah. know if you don't understand the eating disorder, why yeah. would you understand what a trigger was? So I think in their desperation, they just thought that by doing that would get the help that they needed to save their friend's life. So actually, I don't think it's... I understand that there was a backlash, but I think it was done out of complete naivety but it actually prompted a conversation as to why that's not helpful and can be a trigger. So I don't mm. think it's—I don't think it was anybody's fault. I don't—it wasn't Nikki's fault. I, I, you know, yeah. I don't even think she was aware of of this campaign starting at, at, when it did. Mm. And, and I know she felt very oh, pulled, torn apart by what mm. she felt about it because she was partly embarrassed, partly ashamed, partly nervous that people what would what would people think. But actually what happened was there was an outpouring of love for her mm. and, and, and she realised how people were fighting for her and she started to fight for herself. I mean, I, I, it's absolutely tragic and just incredibly, incredibly sad that here is a young woman who really should have been in the prime of her life yeah, and just didn't feel that at all. To what extent do you think the the kind of instant fame and infamy almost and notoriety that came with those early 2000 reality shows that really didn't have a good duty of care to the contestants that really were about kind of making instant heroes and villains, mm. to what extent do you think that was responsible for her for her eating disorder itself, but also for perhaps the place she found herself in this year? Oh, her eating disorder started at around 12 years old. Mm. This is a long, long journey. Now, obviously, the the, the due diligence and sort of safeguarding around the shows back then wasn't done. So I think there could have been more done in terms of was she psychologically... um, able to to experience this and as we know in in years nine how many people have we lost who have been on love island Mm -hmm. you know look at and look at carolyn slack on the other side you know there needs to be a bigger greater level of care however i don't think it's fair to say that nikki's um whole eating disorder Mm -hmm. was was because of that level of fame and what happened to her look at me you know I was I went from <laughs> from death's door um, to a drama school, and when I graduated from drama school, I got the role on Emmerdale. I got a three year contract on Emmerdale within a year. You know, and I was on a red carpet. I was in the press. I was everywhere. I was in, in front of millions every night. You know, but that didn't contribute to to, to my mm-hmm. my path and my journey. My path and my journey was very different to Nikki because I believe that she was just surviving with an eating disorder Mm. she was still trying to get to that point where she was going to get the right level of help and care and she didn't whereas fortunately I did and that's the difference and I think this is what's so key Harriet is early intervention is so important and at SEED we've got an eating disorders educational toolkit it's a school resource that we've created to teach the teach how to teach responsibly, confidently about body image, well-being and eating disorders. And in fact, Nikki, God love her, is in lesson two. I, you know, I, I look back yeah. on the lessons the other day and I realise she's in it. And the point of me saying this is that we are fighting tooth and nail to get this resource into schools. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's so hard because how you know finding the right footing into a school is so difficult. So we've been writing to MPs. But is mm-hmm. there any engagement? None, apart from one amazing man called Robert Halfen, who is actually giving seed as tiny charity in Hull with a massive outreach at the moment. The time that that we need to be able to help us look at getting this resource into schools. But is anybody else helping us? Vicky Ford. I wrote mm-hmm. to her. I got a response from her assistant about a month after saying she, well done on the work that we're doing, but she can't do any more. <laughs> I was just like, brilliant. There's a 400% increase in school-aged children developing eating disorders and we just get a thank you for the work that we're doing. Why do you think people don't take it seriously? I I, I haven't got an answer for that, Mm. Harriet, because because when there's 1.6 million people in the UK alone suffering with an eating disorder, I I cannot get my head around it. It's happening. And I don't understand why it keeps getting brushed under the carpet. For instance, last Friday, a week ago Friday, the report from the Women's Inequality Committee was published mm. Yeah, about the scrapping of the BMI threshold, which means that, yeah. unfortunately, in the UK, a lot of people have to get to a rock-bottom weight to be able to get help. But yeah. they asked for it to be reviewed. And they also asked for the government to review the obesity strategy and the governance around social media. Mm. And then... About an hour later, it was announced that Prince Philip had tragically died, which is so sad yeah. and so heartbreaking. And my, my heartfelt condolences to the royal family and, and obviously to the nation. It's huge. But there's been no response from government because they're not doing anything for eight days. And then the day after, Nikki yeah. dies. And the conversation is back on the table. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's appalling. that It takes It takes a death to put that conversation on the table to begin with. It really does. And all I'm seeing at the moment is on Twitter petitions, like, you know, campaigns. But there's still been nothing. Mm. You know, I'm, I, I can't, I don't want to blame and, and, and point fingers. I know, God, I don't want to even get into politics. You know, I, I can't imagine what a job it's been for Boris yeah. <laughs> this last year as a human being. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. anybody who was in power at the moment, we're going to get things wrong and we're going to get things right and we're going to get... You know, nobody knew what was coming with COVID, of course. Mm. You know, and and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm angry or, or shouting or, or pointing fingers, but what I am saying is, like, come on now. As you just said, when do we get to a point where we start to look at the bigger picture away from COVID and look at the other impacts of COVID? When do we start addressing that? And the tiny charity in Hull, we've got a voice. And we're now seeing a thousand, one thousand one hundred sixteen percent increase in out of area mm. referrals to us in okay. terms of people joining our support groups. When is the government going to start going right? Mm. Come on! Absolutely. For anyone who is listening to this right now and perhaps knows someone that they think is suffering, what advice would you give them? As I say, early intervention is key. And I know it's very mm. difficult when you're on the other side reaching out to somebody who is, as, as we, as I know, sorry, as I said, we yeah. know, we, we don't all know, an eating disorder is very secretive. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody suffering will go to great lengths to hide it. Um, but I think one thing that we always pride ourselves on at SEED is saying that we treat the person, not the eating disorder. And by that, I mean, we speak with empathy and support as human beings. So we don't challenge. I think it's very important when you're broaching the subject with somebody 
to not talk about the food instantly, to not talk about the behaviours that they might be noticing, whether it be they're going to the toilet after mealtimes or whether it be that they're seeing that they're pushing the food around and avoiding food and hiding food. Yeah. It's about, let's say somebody's called Robert. Robert, mm. you seem very different in yourself. You seem like you're not happy. You seem like you're withdrawing as a, as a person, as my friend. What can I do? Well, how can I help you? And honestly, I know that sounds so simple, but mm-hmm. it's so effective. And it, it's just that start of getting the trust back. And then you can start to broach about getting support and whether it would be an idea to, to try and get an appointment with a GP, depending on what level of, of medical risk somebody's at. But, mm-hmm. but regardless of medical risk, I urge anybody to, to reach out and try and get help and that's what SEED and many eating disorder charities around the UK are there for. You know, we don't claim to be a clinical service but we are there to give support and, and empathy through our lived experience. Mum and dad, co-founders, me, patron, now manager, mm. you know, our team of volunteers, we're here. Gemma, it has been so amazing talking to you. Thank you for all the incredible work you do to support people in this country. It is absolutely amazing and you deserve all the support that you can get. And I really, really hope the government start to give it to you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was Gemma Oten, manager of Seed Eating Disorder Support Service. I'm going to put the contact details for them and for Beat in the show notes. So if you're struggling, do please reach out. And finally this week, our listener's letter is all about love. She says, I've been single and dating for a few years now, but the pandemic has really pulled a shutter down on my love life. I've chatted to and met up with a few people over the past year, but nothing has really come of it. My friends are desperate for me to meet someone. They're all settled with partners, but it's just not happening. And the idea of going back into internet dating once again fills me with dread. I hated it before. Why would it be any different now? How can I get my pre-pandemic mojo back again and get back out there? 
I mean, I do feel you. Internet dating has really taken something that was already sort of stressful with the potential for fun and just made it the worst possible version of itself. So I absolutely feel your desire not to go back to a lifetime of bad internet dates. And here's the first thing, which is I want you don't have to, right? There is nothing wrong with being single. There is nothing wrong with wanting to stay single. You know, don't go out there looking for love and dating people if actually you don't really want to be dating anyone right now. That's fair enough, right? That's okay. My lovely friend Nicholas Lawson runs a newsletter called The Single Supplement, which I heartily recommend. It also has a Facebook group filled with brilliant single women who are quite happy being single. I want to talk about that. So that's the first thing. Just because other people want you to be in a relationship, if you don't want to be, that is okay. Put the dating apps down. Go have an interesting, fulfilled, brilliant life doing stuff that you want to do and never having to worry about somebody else. That's a massive advantage of singledom. Second thing is, if you do want to be dating someone and you kind of see this dating process about getting to that relationship point and that's what you want, then great. And I would focus really on the what you want. So really think about actually when I'm in that relationship, what's the kind of person I want to be with? What will they be like? What are their qualities going to be? I'm not saying build it up into some dramatic fantasy about what you'll be doing every Sunday, but really focus on what you want for a fulfilling relationship and don't get distracted from that. So really think about if you decide you want to find that person through internet dating, say no to the people that don't meet that criteria. You know, it doesn't matter how cute they are. It doesn't matter how funny their message is. If they're not looking for what you're looking for, move along. Because I think if this year of isolation has taught us anything, it's that most of us don't have enough time to be socializing every single night of the week. So just focus on what you want and be specific and structured about how you go out and get that. And then remember that you don't necessarily have to find that on a dating app. Yes, I know. This is when everyone gives you the hilarious advice about take up a hobby. And then as somebody who's single for a long time, I can tell you, I took up hobbies and it's just filled with single women taking up hobbies. But A, do take up hobbies. If there's stuff you want to be doing, do go do that. But also ask your friends. Do they know anyone that you could go out with? Tell people that you are looking for this particular person. You're looking for somebody who has these qualities. Tell people about what you're looking for as often as you possibly can. Because if you do that, you up the chances of one of them saying, oh, do you know my mate? He's got or she's got a really X, Y, Z that's going to meet your criteria. I don't know what was going to come after that, really. It was going to be good personality. Honestly, it was. I promise. Nothing else. So tell people about what you're looking for. And then finally, think about how you can make this fun for you. What would make it fun? Can you date in another way to kind of take the pressure off, right? So rather than making the focus of every date, is this person the one? Can you see it as a chance to just be really curious about humanity? Can you see it as a chance to really learn about other people? So go into every date curious about the person who is sat in front of you. Not curious about whether or not they are your future life partner, but just curious about who they are as a person and what you can learn from them. That is all for this week. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, as ever, please do rate, review, subscribe. It makes me really happy when you do that. Also, it allows other people to find the show, which is really helpful. If you want to ask me a question, if you've got a problem you need some help with, do drop me an email, harriet.minter at gmail.com. Or of course, you can always come and find me on social media at Harriet Minter. 
You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chat. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.